out of here in a hurry. Just a bit outside. If anything travels that far, I'd have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? It's time for Powell at the Park. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Cubs, Sox, all your Chicago baseball news. Dynamite drop in money. Here's your host, Kevin Powell. Play ball! The National League playoff picture is just bananas, and it's going to be a fun weekend in baseball. I'm Kevin Powell. This is the Powell at the Park podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, Really appreciate it. Uh, We're going to talk plenty of Cubs here because, man, uh, a lot of things could shake out here over the next few days. Uh, Cubs could end up in a tiebreaker. They could end up with the wild card. They could end up as division champs for the third straight year. We already know now they are going to the postseason for the uh, fourth straight year, first time in franchise history. Impressive stuff from the Cubs. And uh, some White Sox conversation. Conversation as well with Josh Nelson from Sox Machine. Checked in with Josh, uh, I believe it was before, just at the beginning of the year. We kind of did some, uh, some uh, preseason prediction type stuff. So we'll check in and uh, recap this Sox season. And I uh, always love talking to Josh. But let's get right to it. A lot to cover with the Cubs. We're now joined by uh, Tony Adraki, NBC Sports Chicago. I think he's been on the podcast more than I have, and I host this podcast. So, Tony, appreciate you jumping on once again, man. No problem, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, at Tony and Drackey23 is on Twitter. You can uh, follow his stuff, NBC Sports Chicago. He covers the Cubs, covers them well. Let's just cut to the chase, Tony. Uh, as I speak to you now, it is uh, Thursday uh, just after noon, and last night was a wild one at Wrigley. Cubs blow it. They come back. Uh, a fan interferes with Rizzo. Um, just, just a crazy night. What was Wrigley like uh, last night for you? Yeah, it was a crazy night, and it, was, it felt a, a lot like a playoff atmosphere. I mean, a lot of these games have, of course. It's you know that's not new, but I think you know the fans were behind them early when Jason Hayward hit that home run. That was huge, and everybody seemed to relax. Uh, it seemed like the air actually got taken out of it in that two-out homer that Jose Quintana gave up. But obviously, it took you know it was only a few minutes before they got back into it. But then when Albert Almora hit that walk-off, I mean, it, it was. It was loud. It wasn't like Miguel Montero Grand Slam in the NLCS loud, but it was pretty loud, almost as loud as I've heard it at Wrigley this year. And, of course, the big play everybody's talking about, a fan interferes with Rizzo. Now, look, I didn't want all these Cub fans on Twitter to go nuts. I mean, we learned already from Bartman, give the guy a break. Um, He probably should have backed off. Um in his defense, I mean, it's kind of hard to realize what's going on. You're staring straight up in the sky with a ball coming down to even sense Rizzo's coming to your right. I'll give him a little slack there, but um, I guess if you're sitting in the front row, here's just another friendly reminder that keep your head on a swivel um, and and just don't get in the way. Yeah, you know, I'm with you. It's, it's, I can understand and I can like empathize with this fan. I mean, this ball's coming over the net. You know, these people are just drinking beers or eating hot dogs or doing whatever they're doing. They're not really, like, expecting to be a part of any sort of action. And all of a sudden it comes your way. Like, there's no preparing for that. But that being said, you have to understand, like, the situation and everything else. And if you look at the video, everybody else around that guy had backed up. One guy even put both his hands up in, like, this defensive maneuver and backed up. So, I mean, everybody else was able to, like, understand the situation except for this guy. Like, at least with the Bartman thing, I mean, that poor guy, everybody else around Bartman was reaching for the ball, and it just so happened that he had terrible luck to actually make contact. But that was different. The other thing with this is, like, I mean, the guy collided with the ball and Rizzo's glove and everything. Like, people say that he ripped it out of Rizzo's glove. He didn't, but at the same time, I mean, he made contact pretty much the same time Rizzo did. So, yeah, you're right. They, like, you just got to be more aware than that. 
and understand what's happening and everything else. And honestly, his buddies or whoever else he was there with should have given him a heads up, too. Um, you know, I will say this, though. It's a testament to where the Cubs are at, where in past years before this whole Madden era and the Theo era, it it feels like, of course, we can go right back to the Bartman situation. It, it, it felt like a moment, well, man, not only are they going to lose this game, but maybe this is the point we all look back and say this is when the division slipped through their fingers. But they fight back, and Almora comes through with the giant walk-off hit. I th- I think, you know, I just wrote a blog the other day about um, the Cubs trying to close this thing out, and resilient and tough is what comes to mind when it's when it comes to these Joe Madden-led Cubs teams. It is so, so difficult to put the Cubs down late in the season, in the postseason. Like you said, this feels like the playoffs. They just don't go away. It takes just about everything an opposing team has to beat the Cubs, and I think it's a testament to where they're at as a franchise. Um, I, I don't think I'm overstating it here. I, I really do believe that where this is a moment that was deflating. They, they blow the lead. The bullpen blows the lead, and they come back, and they battle, and they come through with a clutch hit. That's the state of the Cubs right now. Yeah, I mean, it, this was a cubby occurrence, or it could have been, the right. fan in, interfering with Rizzo, and it wasn't. And you're totally right, everything's changed. I mean, I think it's easier to have everything change like that after you win the World Series, like in 2016, but it is a testament in general. I mean, just look at everything that's happened and write it all down on paper. And you can see, you can see the resiliency of this team. I mean, Darvish being out, Morrow, Chatwood, all these things that you've heard before, Chris Bryant being, you know, missing 60 plus games and not being himself when he's there all these different things and they're still in like control of their own destiny for the division yeah this team is definitely as resilient as it gets but let's see over the final four days how resilient they really are so going into last night's game you had tweeted this out that the cubs um had the fifth highest strikeout rate in baseball in the month of september they were a 23rd in walk percentage just 28th in ops 28th in homers i saw you put that tweet out that cole hamels had as many homers as basically like all the starters combined in the month of september uh, what's been yeah. what's been the struggle at the plate for the cubs for me it looks like they're just tired and exhausted um but from your vantage what have you seen from this offense why the struggles late in the season you know, I think it's just about having having good at bats. And they I don't know if it's based off of just being tired. I think that's absolutely a factor. But when they get down early, they just don't seem to have that competitive spirit or fight anymore. And I'm not saying like they're giving up or anything like that. But it just seems like suddenly a two-run, three-run lead or deficit is insurmountable. And it didn't used to be that way. But it's just because guys are – you know, they feel the pressure and I'm not like, not everybody's pressing. They're not chasing a whole lot more than normal. They're not, you know, swinging and missing a whole lot more than normal. I think they sometimes are missing their pitch, whether they're following it back or, you know, just not taking it or I'm sorry, not swinging at it at all. Uh, I think some of it has been bad luck. They've, they've hit into some decent line drives and stuff just right at guys lately. And, you know, that happens. That's what baseball is. It's, Sometimes you just you can have the greatest approach, the greatest at bat, execute it well, hit a ball 110 miles an hour, and it goes right at somebody. And a lot of that has happened. And at the same time, when that happens, they have to have better at bats and respond better than to you know be like oh you know a two run homer in the first inning and we're suddenly down, which is what happened on, on Monday night, or a three run homer in the second inning and we're down, which is what happened on, on Tuesday night. So I think. Uh, 
maybe Wednesday would help a little bit just because they were able to break through, but they still need more. They need, you know, after the fourth or fifth inning on Wednesday night, they pretty much stopped having any sort of offensive threat until Elmora's hit. So they need to figure it out more, but, you know, they're not in as dire of a situation as they were a couple days ago. Yeah, and you mentioned that Hayward Homer to start the game uh, a Wednesday night. And Tuesday night after the game, Madden specifically said we need to score early, and that's exactly what they did. I th- I think that's huge. I don't think that can be uh, you know overstated as well. Is is getting on the board early because this offense has always sort of been. I guess you can say this just about every team, but really for the Cubs over the past few years, when a few guys get going, it just seems like everybody gets going, and this offense can be dangerous. Scoring early, I think, is going to be huge over the final weekend here. Yeah, I'm with you. And I mean, you're right, too. When everybody gets going, they do get going because this offense is contagious. It's contagious, I think, for everybody, but for every offense in baseball, but with the Cubs more so, and that's probably more related to their youth and, you know, general inexperience. It's not like these guys have 10 years or whatever in in the big leagues, Um, but it's also contagious in a bad way. I mean, when they have a couple things that don't go their way, you know, for a night or two in a row, all of a sudden, like, they get into a funk faster than I think some other teams out there do. That's why we see, you know, the Cubs can score 10 runs one night and have one run the next night. I mean, I think they are still either lead or towards the the leaders in baseball and come from behind victories, and they also lead the National League in in most games with either one or zero runs scored. I mean, they're they're very – boomer boss right now yeah and i guess that's sort of the trend in all the baseball really where everybody's trying to hit homers i know madden despises that he likes when his team uses all parts of the field and uh i think anybody who watches baseball likes that as well as much as as fun as homers are you know i've sort of talked about this too over the the course of the year and even last year and I, i guess it's they're starting to get a little bit older they've got a lot of experience but it still is a pretty young lineup relatively speaking i mean schwarber's 25 you have Baez is what 24 25 so I think that's a large part of his as well, where maybe guys who in an offense on a team where guys are rotated in and out of the lineup every day, this isn't a knock against Madden, but they are still a pretty young team, all things considered. So maybe that factors into some of this, you know, all or, you know, everything or nothing type approach for this offense. Yeah, I think it does. And I think as much as anything, what factors into it is Chris Bryant. And it's not like just him. I mean, but he was. He was awesome. He was the best Chris Bryant we had ever seen through like the middle of May or the third week of May before that shoulder injury hit. And it was, I mean, he was making contact more than ever before. He still had power, but he was using the whole field. I mean, seriously, go back and look. He was hitting like 327, I think, through like the second or third week of May. And the offense was not, you know, doing great, but then look at why. Okay, well, Anthony Rizzo got off to a ridiculously so st- slow start. So I think those are all the factors. And, I mean, up until Friday last week, uh, that was the first time, or I'm sorry, on Saturday, that was the first time that the Cubs have had Bryant, Schwarber, and Hayward in the same lineup since the like the second game or something after the All-Star break because every, everybody's been hurt. And in general, I mean, they really have not had like Chris Bryant be Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo be Anthony Rizzo in the same lineup this year. That's the whole year because Rizzo didn't really start turning it on until like the middle of May. So I think those are the things more than anything when you don't have your studs. And really, I'm going to point to Wilson Contreras to own as much of this offensive struggle as possible be, or as anybody else because this is a guy that I thought was going to be an NL MVP candidate, and he was on pace 
to hit nearly 30 homers and drive in 100 runs last year. And this year, he, he might be lucky if he even gets to 50 RBI and 10 homers. The Wilson Contreras thing is head-scratching to me because I'm, I'm with you, Tony. There was a whole lot of people who were expecting huge things from Wilson Contreras. Joe Madden declared him the best catcher in all of baseball. And, man, what a disappointment of a season it's been for Contreras. He seems frustrated. He had that really bad moment where he was walking nearly halfway to first base and the ball hit off the wall. That was not a good look. Um, I don't know what's going on there. Um, I don't know if, if if it's a mental thing, physical, but I, I'm with you, man. That, Wilson Contreras has been, to me, outside of Darvish, you know, not not uh, pitching the whole year and, and the injuries and all that, probably the biggest disappointment on this team. Yeah, I think Contreras has, and, and you know, I, I this guy's one of my favorite players to watch, and I really think he is the best catcher in baseball. I think he has oh, the potential. I don't think he currently is right now. But, I mean, really, it's been a downhill season for him ever since he started the All-Star game and hit a home run in the second inning or whatever that was. It's it's just been – it's head-scratching, like you mentioned, for the Cubs, too, and for Wilson Contreras. I mean, he just made an adjustment recently where he was getting hammered in on pitches and on the hands often, so he backed off the plate, and now he's swinging at pitches you know, in off the plate that are – you know, not strikes by six, seven inches because he hasn't really adjusted his strike zone yet. And he's also just expanding the zone too often, swinging at pitches that are, you know, in the dirt or whatever else. It's just, it's, I think a lot of it's mental. I think some of it's physical, whatever the reason, the Cubs can't really nail it down. And I mean, Victor Caratini started in the Cubs most important game of the season Wednesday night because the Cubs wanted like Joe Madden wanted to get his bat in the lineup over Contreras. That tells you everything you need to know about what the Cubs think about Wilson Contreras at the moment. Right. A uh, disappointment on a different sort of level is Addison Russell and uh, Jesse Rogers reporting that uh, that administrative leave from baseball has been moved all the way through Sunday. So through the regular season. I've said I don't think he's going to be back with the team this year and maybe back with the Cubs ever. What's your prediction on how this whole thing sort of plays out for Addison Russell and the Cubs? You know, I, I don't really know. I, I I don't have – I've kind of refrained from making a prediction just because it could go so many different ways. I mean, Ken Rosenthal's report the other night that the MLB has credible information to go along with Russell's ex-wife's blog post – you know, that obviously doesn't speak well to the possibility of Russell, you know, coming back to the Cubs. And, and it seems like, uh, according to Rosenthal, that like a suspension's coming. If that's the case, I imagine the Cubs would probably cut ties with him. And we probably have seen Addison Russell's last game with the Cubs. That being said, I mean, really, who knows with, the, with these things? I, they're. It's so difficult to try to determine. Um, but now that Russell's ex-wife is, you know, talking to having conversations with MLB and participating in the investigation, I imagine we'll have a resolution coming out rather soon. I don't know how soon, um, you know, I, for the Cubs sake, I think they hope the rest of the team hopes that it will be before the end of the regular season. Um, that being said, it's, there's not really much they can do about it. The rest of these guys just have to move on and anticipate as if they won't have Edison Russell, you know, back at all. And that's probably what the fans should do. They should just, probably anticipate that they may never see Addison Russell in a Cubs uniform again. Okay, let's talk about the postseason 
stuff here because it is absolutely insane in the National League. It could go all sorts of different ways. Atlanta's clinched the East, okay, but the West is is up for grabs between Colorado, who all of a sudden has scored like 34 runs over the past three days. Their pitching's been very good. Uh, they could be a dangerous team in the postseason. The Dodgers, of course, are there. We know all about the Dodgers. St. Louis lingering. It didn't help. They just got pretty much owned by Milwaukee over the past three days. Um, but they're still there. They're just, as, as we talk, Tony, they're just a game out of the wild card. Um, I think if the Cubs win tonight, Thursday night against the Pirates, they get a full, they're up a full game on Milwaukee in the Central. I think if they win tonight, they win the division. I think if they lose tonight, then we go into a weekend where it's basically who, who wins their series, right? Uh, it's basically a coin flip. I think it's 50-50 at that point. If the Cubs win tonight, though, and they enter the weekend with a game advantage, it's going to take a real collapse. I know they have St. Louis, which is going to be much more difficult. Uh, Cardinals are still in the hunt. They're going to be hungry over the weekend. They're, they don't want the Cubs to eliminate them from the postseason. All while Milwaukee, who's riding high off their first playoff berth in 10 years, 11 years, um, Christian Yelich is probably the MVP. They only have to play the, the lowly Detroit Tigers. Um I want to ask for your prediction, but who knows what could happen here? This is just crazy, and there's also a chance that we have a tiebreaker Monday between the Brewers and Cubs. Um, just your take on the whole NL playoff scene right now? Yeah, I mean it. It is wild, and I feel bad because I've been so focused on Cubs and Brewers and everything else. I've barely paid attention to the West, which, like you said, is such an awesome playoff race between, you know, at one point it looked like the Rockies were about out of it, and then they've rallied, and the Dodgers have have not really collapsed, but just regressed a bit the last few days. So it's so exciting to watch all of that, too. But, yeah, I mean, there are are still these possibilities that there could be a three-way tie for – you know, the the first wild, or I'm sorry, the NL West, and then like moving into the second wild card and whatever else from there. And yeah, I mean, there's the Braves are, are kind of sneaking around too, where they could potentially even get the top seed in the NL and have home field advantage throughout the playoffs if the Cubs and, and Brewers falter. So there's so many different things. And I'm with you. I mean, the, the Cubs, they still, their half game lead right now is essentially a game. And if they lose tonight, Thursday night, like you said, then they're tied. If they win, then they're up still a game that's that's basically this you know they don't get anything else but the last thing the cubs want to do is have that one game playoff or that game 163 on monday and unfortunately i think that might be where things are, are heading to because even if the cubs win then and they take two out of three from st louis the brewers do not look like they're going to lose at all and that's basically how the cubs have to think about it if that's the case then they tie they have to play 163 on monday the loser has to host most likely the wild or they actually they would have to host the wild card game uh tuesday night mm-hmm. and then if they win that then they have to go somewhere else to play thursday like that's just wild it is nuts um yeah monday if let's say they had a tiebreaker in milwaukee it would be at wrigley Believe because yes. Cubs own yeah because Cubs own the the regular season head to head. There's just a ton yeah. of scenarios that could play out. It's going to be a fun, crazy weekend. Um, I, I know it's football season, but I'm going to be glued to the the whole baseball realm of things over the next few days. And tonight's going to be it's a huge game. It is a huge game, and I think uh, you wouldn't want anybody else on the mound other than John Lester. So um, I, I think we're going to have a, a pretty intense game. Um, you know Pittsburgh. I realize they're only three games above by 500, but Joe Madden talked about playing in the best division in baseball. You could make an argument this, the 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 NL Central is. I mean, you're looking at Cubs, Milwaukee, 
St. Louis and Pittsburgh all above 500. And Pittsburgh's got a pretty good team, and they always seem to play the Cubs tough. Even the Reds played the Cubs tough this year. Yeah, th- definitely. I, th- I think the Cubs do have the best division, the NL Central here. I, and, I mean, the funny thing is the Reds, hardly anybody talks about them, but, I mean, you face a lineup that has Joey Votto and Scooter Jeanette and some of these other guys, you know, out there all the time. I mean, that, that that's not a bad lineup. And there was a time um, through, like, the end of May and, like, the All-Star break or so, there was like this 60-something game stretch where the Reds actually had a better record than the Brewers. The Reds were like 34 and 32 or something. The Brewers were like 31 and 33. And and so it's like, I mean, these teams are all good, and they've all played the Cubs well. They've played all these other teams. So, yeah, I mean, the Cubs have to continue to figure out the Pirates' uh, pitching staff where they've really struggled. But that's the tough part. I mean, this, this Pirates team is eliminated, and the offense and lineup they're throwing out isn't that great. But their pitchers are still like, you know, A-list pitchers. I mean, Chris Archer and Jameson Tyon and, and all these other guys in their bullpen, like they're shutting down the Cubs lineup with their best guys. And then, unfortunately for the Cubs, they've given up a bunch of runs to guys like Jose Azuna and Pablo Reyes that nobody's heard of before this week. Right. Yeah, you mentioned the Pirates pitching. The, ma- the pitching matchup tonight, John Lester goes for the Cubs. He's 17-6, a 3.43 ERA. Trevor Williams, the righty, goes for the Pirates. His ERA since the All-Star break, 108. That's the best in all of majors. So that's what the Cubs are dealing with tonight, a righty in Trevor Williams. You got a sort of a game preview for uh, for us tonight, um, Tony, before I let you go? It, I just think it, it de- depends on the Cubs at-bats. I mean, I know how good Williams has been, obviously, but if the Cubs are going to have any success at all in October, they need to have better at-bats against the best pitchers. And it's a good test to, to go up against a guy that surprisingly has been one of the National League's best pitchers. So if they can continue to have the at-bats that they had, you know, the first through fifth inning uh, on Wednesday night against Williams, I think they'll be just fine. But that being said, you know, it's, a couple bad uh, or poor luck or anything else, and things can turn around. So I think it really all just depends on the level of at-bats the Cubs have and how they can maintain it throughout the game. Yeah, my guess is this comes down to the wire once again. I think it comes down to the bullpens. I I really do. I think both these pitches are going to deliver some good starts, and I think we'll see some uh, late-game heroics from uh, we'll see from which side of of the diamond that comes from tonight. But Tony Andrecki, I know you'll be out there. I'll see you at Wrigley. I can't wait. Uh, This is going to be like a playoff atmosphere. Biggest game of the year for the Cubs. Tony Andracki at Tony Andracki 23 on Twitter. Read his stuff at NBC Sports Chicago. Tony, thank you, my friend. I will, uh, I'll see you at the park soon and fasten your seatbelts for a wild weekend. Yeah, it sounds good. Thanks, Kevin. All right, man. All right, thank you to Tony. Appreciate him jumping on. As always, I'm sure we'll hear from him again as his playoff run continues for the Cubs. Up next, Josh Nelson from Sox Machine. Always like talking to Josh. Uh, we'll kind of recap the season here and uh, preview what's expected for the White Sox offseason. We're now joined by Josh Nelson from Sox Machine at Sox Machine underscore Josh, SoxMachine.com. He is his podcast, Jim Margulis, and Josh cranking out all sorts of great White Sox material for all the diehards out there. Josh, I was at uh, the final home game of the year. Pretty good turnout, over $25,000 dollars uh, hot dog night and whatnot. But um, uh, first of all, thanks for jumping on the podcast. I appreciate it. Oh, of course, Kevin. Anytime. Um, okay, well, the big news yesterday was um, was Rick Hahn with his end-of-season address to the, the media and uh, to the reporters and White Sox uh, beat reporters. What? Because um, I know you guys hang on everything Rick says, and you guys look for clues and, and things like that. What, what, what's your takeaway yeah. from Rick Hahn's um, meeting with the media yesterday? 
I think, you know, when he said that this would be the toughest year of the rebuild, he is right. This has been a very tough year for the Chicago White Sox. There are areas that he addressed yesterday that I don't necessarily agree with or I'd like to hear further follow-up, such as he believes that they are one year closer to their goal of becoming a contending team. I would dispute that. To quote the famous musician Paul Abdul, I think the Chicago White Sox in 2018 have taken one step forward and two steps back. I don't see a lot of progression from the Chicago White Sox from 2017 just because there's a lot of uncertainty. And from that uncertainty, it is going to be interesting on how Rick Hahn handles this upcoming offseason because you do have very attractive free agent options. And the White Sox don't have a lot of payroll or money tied to payroll at the moment that they could spend. And they could speed up as far as the process and target key guys like a Manny Machado, for example, to shore up third base and be somebody in the middle of the lineup that they can count on, along with an emerging Aloy Jimenez to help power the offense. Those are all possibilities. And Rick Hahn did address that, and I thought that it was smartly said that he can't look ahead to 2020 and 2021 free agency and say these guys are going to be available because, one, not everybody knows that. For example, a lot of White Sox fans, Kevin, want Nolan Arenado to join the White Sox. Nolan Arenado can sign a long-term contract with the Colorado Rockies to stay in Denver. He could do that. Or maybe Nolan Arenado has zero interest in signing with the White Sox. So how does a GM like Rick Hahn deal with the situation today? And I think that he is trying to stay rooted in the present and looking at this free agency class for some solutions that will continue to help this team move forward. All right, before we get into the into free agency and where Rick can attack that area this offseason, you said one step forward, two steps back. Outside of injuries, why do you say two steps back? Well, I think for the uncertainty, one of the steps backwards is Yohan Mikata and Lucas Giolito. We do not know with confidence that if these two players that are that are core pieces are going to hit their ceiling. Yohan Mikata obviously has a lot of work to do. He is threatening the all-time season-high strikeout record that Mark Reynolds has. He's just nine strikeouts away as we record this as the White Sox will be heading to Minneapolis for four games in three days against the Minnesota Twins. And there's obviously some work to do for Yohan Mikata, but he hasn't taken the step forward that a lot of people were expecting. And there are some that say, well, that's kind of hard to do. This is his first full year. And I counter that with the outstanding seasons we are seeing all across Major League Baseball in your Ronald Acuna's and Juan Soto's and Miguel Andujar and Gleyber Torres. Uh, Yeah, Ozzy Albies. You're seeing terrific performances this year from prospects that were similar standing and similar age as you and Mikata. Mikata's the one that's not living up to the billing, while others are. Uh, so for Mikata, that's a step backwards. We still don't know as far as if he's going to hit a ceiling. There's uncertainty as far as Lucas Giolito, if he's going to be a long-term starting pitching piece, because honestly, he is one of the worst starting pitchers in all of Major League Baseball based on his performance in 2018. And you, you mentioned the other step backwards is the injuries, especially as far as the 
top prospects. This was not a kind year for the Chicago White Sox farm system as far as injuries go. Half of the top 15 prospects that they have had have dealt with some type of severe injury, which they've lost a half season or even a full season uh, due to injury. So those are the two steps backwards. Now the step forward, because I'm sure that's going to be your follow-up question. Yeah, but give me one second here, because here's my (laughs) rebuttal. And here's what I'll say when you say steps backwards. Here's my response to that. Here's why I wouldn't necessarily classify them as steps backward. Because just because they underperformed this year doesn't mean they got worse as baseball players. This is part of a development and maybe, but that's why I'm hesitant to call it a step backwards for either one of those guys. How do you know they weren't learning this whole time and gaining some advantages mentally or physically, whatever it may be, for next season? Okay, and I'll take that, and I will counter by saying, why haven't we seen that with Juan Soto? Why haven't we seen that with Glaber Torres? Why haven't we seen that with Miguel Andujar? But just because, because, like, this is the Patrick Mahomes-Mitch Trubisky debate right now. Just because those guys are performing doesn't mean Yoa Moncada is a bust or Yoa Moncada is taking a step backwards. Maybe his development and his progress moving forward is, is just going to be a little bit different than those guys. I understand it's frustrating for Sox fans. I, I agree with you. I expected better from Moncada and Giolito. But just because they didn't have the years maybe we anticipated doesn't mean they got worse as baseball players. In fact, I'm pretty sure they both got better throughout the process, even if the numbers didn't show it. But they were worse than they were last year. From the brief points of the Small season and the sizes. sample work that we saw, sure, but they were not as good as they were in 2017, and that's where it's a step backwards. They yeah, but Moncada was such a small sample size. I mean, it, it aren't his numbers fairly similar to that small spurt we saw of Moncada last year? Anyways, I mean, he's been pretty decent the last month. Well, there's new exposures for you on Mikata. Outside of just watching a lot of strike three calls throughout the season, uh, from the athletic, Eno you know, Saris dove into the numbers, and he's pointed out that now Yohan Mikata is not making contact on sliders. And that's a problem because we all knew that Yohan Mikata coming up to the major leagues has a problem with change-ups. So now you have Yohan Mikata not only struggling with the off-speed pitch, but now he's struggling against sliders. And essentially, he's only effective batting left-handed against fastballs in the strike zone. Those are areas that we can point out and say, yes, these are areas that Yohan Mikata has taken a step backwards. Now, the good news is, and to give you some support on your point of view, Kevin, is that he can get better. These are things that he needs to focus on and work on in spring training. I think manager Rick Rentry put it best that this type of season for Yohan Mikata is probably best for him moving forward because when we talk about Juan Soto and Miguel Andujar and all the other prospects that are performing well, they have now put that bar as the expectation that they should always perform at that level. And they're still really young, and they're going to have sophomore slumps, and they may take a step backwards, and they may not be as good as they are in 2019. Whereas Mikata now has gone through this year of struggle. He can go into spring training. He can work on making better contact against breaking pitches in the zone. He can still learn on how to recognize an off-speed pitch, a change-up that's coming out of the pitcher's hand, and he will continue to get at bats batting right-handed as he that's an area where he is starting to get a little bit better at is batting right-handed but overall for 2018 there are areas of Mikata's game that holds been punched into 
And those do need to be filled in. And the great thing about 2018 for the White Sox is, is that nobody was expecting them to win. So it's okay that there's been holes been punched in. But he does need to take a step forward in 2019 to give some assurance and confidence that this rebuild is going to work out. Because if Yohan Mikata is not the player or does not develop into the player that we think that he should be, I don't know on how this works, uh, unless the White Sox spend a lot of money or make some significant trades elsewhere. Okay, and you said a step forward. What do you got there for the yeah, 2018 for step forward, season? Yeah, I th- there's a lot of people that will debate me on this, but I thought Ronaldo Lopez is one of those that took a step forward this year, that you can gain a little bit more confidence that he is going to be a starting pitcher for the White Sox long term. I thought he's had a very successful season. Jace Fry, despite what has happened in Deadspin, uh, Jace Fry has been a very reliable piece out of the bullpen for the White Sox, and that helps answer a question because that is something that we knew going into the year that for 2019 the White Sox needed to find bullpen pieces. Daniel Polka is somebody that has had a very surprising year. I'm not a big fan of his, where his on-base percentage is, but you can't debate the power. It is legit. And if you have this guy for a full season, I do think that he's a 30-plus home run type of bat. And for the White Sox, they don't have a lot of those bats right now, either in their system or with the Chicago White Sox today. So I think those are areas where the White Sox have taken a step forward. If they were a healthy team, I'm sure we would have saw a lot more progress from this season. And the only concerns would be is where's Yohan Mikata and Lucas Giolito going into 2019. Uh, but the injuries did happen. That's a step backwards. And, you know, for Giolito and Mikata, we need to see a little bit more from them going to next season. All right. Free agency. Raycon didn't necessarily say they're ready to, to spend a whole boatload of money. Um, didn't say they're not going to spend any money. What do you anticipate them doing this off season? You know, that's a great question, Kevin. And he, Rick Hahn mentioned as far as starting pitching, there is the first question that he has to answer or at least tackle after the World Series is what is he going to do with James Shields? James Shields has a contract option that's worth $16 million. Now, when the White Sox and the San Diego Padres agreed to the deal, part of that is that San Diego agreed to pay the $2 million buyout if the White Sox decided to not exercise the option for James Shields for the 2019 season. I'm expecting the White Sox to not exercise that option and let James Shields be a free agent because it doesn't cost them any money to do that. Now, could the White Sox... If James Shields is not signed by February, go back to him and sign him to a lesser deal as far as money is concerned. I could see that happening. I wouldn't put it past it, but I don't expect the White Sox to pay $16 million for James Shields to return. So if James Shields doesn't return, the White Sox have to fill in two spots in the starting rotation. Now, out of everything that Rick Hahn said, Kevin, yesterday, the only player that should not feel very confident is Dylan Covey, because it wasn't exactly a vote of confidence that Rick Hahn gave uh, to Dylan Covey to possibly fill in in one of the two holes in the starting rotation. Uh, I think the White Sox are going to address those two areas, and I think there's two ways that they're going to go at it. One, they're going to go dumpster diving. This is something that everyone that's covered the White Sox is is expected to see from them. Dumpster diving examples are like Derek Holland a couple years ago. This year, Miguel Gonzalez. 
the White Sox are going to sign a veteran free agent to four to five million dollars and hope that they can get at least 100 innings out of this starting pitcher uh, to help fill in the back end. Now, the other spot, I could see the White Sox making an investment. And by an investment, I say they could go after a Dallas Keuchel, who's going to be a free agent after his season with the Houston Astros. Or even maybe a Patrick Corbin from the Arizona Diamondbacks, who's having a terrific year. And the reason is, is that the lesson to be learned from Michael Kopech's injury is that you can't trust pitchers. No matter how great that they are in your farm system, no matter how great that they look, it is a year-to-year thing when it comes to pitchers because they're all ticking time bombs. And at any moment, they can suffer a major arm injury and you lose them for the entire season. Uh, Alec Hansen, even though he missed half a season with an injury, effectively it cost him the whole year because he was terrible in the second half as his command and control issues uh, came back. And hopefully those get fixed for 2019 where he just walked way too many batters and struggled both in Birmingham and Winston-Salem. So I I think that's where Rick Hahn could go where he makes an investment and he's willing to spend 16 million dollars a year on a pitcher not named James Shields and goes and gets a veteran that he can count on to help lead the rotation along with Carlos Rodon because again Carlos Rodon hasn't pitched a full season yet during his tenure with the White Sox and they could also do a little dumpster diving and sign a veteran free agent to four to five million dollars and that very well may be James Shields who proved that he can still throw 200 innings in, in a year. Yeah, you know, I'm with you. That we've heard Theo Epstein say best way to rebuild is, is positional players because they're a safer bet. I mean, look what the Cubs did. They just yeah. stocked up on so much talent and, and not even all of them made it to the big league roster because some of them were used as trade pieces. So I think a starting rotation or something like that can be can be built in a lot of uh different ways. Um your prediction, I guess, for the, the starting rotation next year is gonna look like Giolito. Um, not in any particular order. Giolito, Rodon, Lopez, and then who? Do you think it? You do think Shields is a good shot? He's back next year, maybe as the fourth or fifth pitcher, and then who, who rounds it out? One of those guys you mentioned, you think? Yeah, I I do think that there's a possibility if Shields is interested. Now, Shields signed with the San Diego Padres the last time he was a free agent because he wanted to be closer to home. He's from Southern California. I mean, if the Dodgers give him a call after the season, be like, hey, you want to help us out? I think Shields is going to go pitch for the Los Angeles Dodgers because they have a better chance of winning. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what, what Shields wants to do. But if Shields had interest in coming back for – Five million dollars. If I was Rick Hahn, sure, I'd be game to do that. I think I can count on him to pitch 180 to 200 innings next year, and that is very valuable for the 2019 White Sox. I think a lot of people would disagree with me on this, but I do think that the White Sox should be serious contenders for either Patrick Corbin or Dallas Keuchel because they do need someone that they can count on. And I know that White Sox fans will want to say, well, you can count on Dylan Cease. No, you can't because Dylan Cease had the same type of injury as Michael Kopech. And we have learned that eventually guys that get Tommy John surgery uh, will need it again. And you can't count on Dylan Cease to throw more than 170 innings next year in the major leagues. That's not going to happen. He's still going to do some development in Charlotte and maybe we'll see him for half a season or a quarter of a season next year. Uh, so the White Sox do need somebody to to help carry the load, to help 
lead this rotation along with Carlos Rodon. And, you know, with Dallas Keuchel, the dude's got experience. He's pitched in some big games in the postseason. He's that type of veteran leader that I do think that the younger pitchers can look up to just because he's been in those crucial situations and he's got a World Series ring. And if he's interested in signing with the White Sox at top dollar and if the White Sox are willing to make that offer, that is a feasible solution to the White Sox starting pitching issues. He's Josh Nelson. Read his stuff at SoxMachine.com. He's got a podcast that is must-listen if you are a diehard White Sox fan. Follow him at SoxMachine underscore Josh. Thanks for jumping on, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, no problem. As always, thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Powell at the Park podcast. I'm Kevin Powell, and thank you very much for listening. Follow me on Twitter at kpowell 720 Subscribe, review, and rate on iTunes. And thank you to Tony Andraki for jumping on and Josh Nelson for talking some White Sox. And follow me along on uh, social media and WGNRadio.com. We're going to have a ton of Cubs coverage as this postseason and this season, uh, regular season winds down. Uh, a lot of stuff to get to. Uh, a new podcast will be posted next week as well. So thank you for listening. Subscribe, review, and right and have a great day thank you